Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is February 24th, 2024, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on X at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. Um, we are fully into off-season mode now. I know it's been a little bit uh, time again since I had done a podcast um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was able to sneak one in. Um, we'll see how things kind of go from this point forward, but I thought this was a good time to get it since, um, you know, big news came out about the salary cap this week. So I think that's probably what we'll kick off with and we'll start with, uh, no beer of the week this week. We are going beerless on this one. We, uh, I kind of hurt my foot last week, um, doing some stuff and, uh, it's a little banged up, so I figure it's uh, it's best to hold off on the alcohol as we go through the recovery process here. So it's uh, getting better. Um, negative side is right now my, my workouts are uh, very different. You know, most people know I think that I like to, uh, you know, do some squats and deadlifts and stuff like that. And right now that's off. So uh, this week my leg workout, so no, no basketball either. So my uh, leg workout consists of uh, some leg extensions and hamstring curls and uh whatever little machines they have down at the y and um that's what i'm using right now but uh yeah as we get better we'll we'll go back with the uh the beers but i figure that uh it's for the best to not really drink too much while just trying to kind of heal up a little bit here so um that was the that was the thing it happened last last week so that's actually one of the reasons why i didn't get the podcast in last week um <clears throat> i just really didn't feel like uh doing that too much so anyway we're kind of getting back to uh to normal here and you know foot is uh getting better so anyway uh big news on the salary cap this week is the salary cap is set at 255.4 million so if you're following along here on youtube um you'll be able to see it here i have the salary cap page up uh for everybody so we'll be able to check that out um let's scroll that here just changing our recording view. Give me one second. I'm going to try to change that just so I have access to the one bar here, and that's not really working right. So if you're on YouTube, you're probably seeing your screen size change here. I'm not sure why this didn't adjust properly. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think I've... Man, it's still not wanting to run. Uh, just give me an issue with the screen capture stuff. Anyway, whatever. Um, not that big of a deal. Uh, so, yeah, 255.4 million. And, you know, everybody obviously went nuts for it. It was the most traffic we've had on OTC um, for a non-free agency starting period probably ever. Um, I'm not sure that there was another day that was not specific to free agency beginning. You know, your first day of free agency with all these contracts coming in um, that really had this kind of interest all kind of coming at once because what we had had down as the salary cap number was 242.5, I think is what we had. And, um, you know, I joked about it on Twitter. I said, you know, I should have never changed our original estimates because our original estimates were 256. Um, so I adjusted downward in... Uh, December, I think it was, uh, 
basically that that's around the time when um, you know the, the owners' meetings and stuff start to take place, and um, Ian Rappaport put out a uh, tweet at that point in time that said, you know, clubs were told uh, basically the cap might be as high as the low two forties, and you know we were way different than that. And, you know, some people were starting to get confused with it. So I kind of reached out to a couple of people I know around the league and asked them. And they said, yeah, you know, probably 242, 243. So I kind of went with that and dropped the number down. And, you know, instead it comes out at 255.4. I think too much is being made of this historic growth. You know, that's the word that, um, you know, we're seeing thrown around all the time, historic and I kind of mentioned this in an article I wrote this week, but people ask, like, well, how did you come up with 256 before? How did you come up with 255? You know, the, the salary cap had been such a steady state progression for so many years that, um, you know, it, it had become really easy to kind of project what the cap would be. But COVID just threw everything for a loop. That was the first thing. And then the second thing was that you knew you had new contract money coming in. Um, and you know, th- there were some other things on the side, right. With, um, and new television contract money. I mean, uh, you know, there, there were a couple other things, you know, the extra playoff game, uh, obviously the expansion of the season and, you know, that changed a little bit on some of the formulas and everything else. But for the most part, COVID kind of set stuff wild. So, you know, the league came up with their, um, you know, they negotiated cap numbers for basically the first two years and we saw stuff increasing, um, you know, however much it would increase by. And, you know, my take on it the whole time was, even though we were looking at some of those years and like last year being like, wow, you know, the, the cap is at 225. It's like, okay, if there was no new media rights deals, if there was none of that, if we were just working from the old salary cap, all right, the, the old, not even, I don't want to call it the old CBA, but the 2011 CBA, if we were looking at that, you know, your cap would have been at that point in time, um, you know, probably around $230 million, um, you know, is where that would have been. Now, you factor into that, that you would have also had um, the additional playoff game, some of the stuff that uh, would have been a little different on the, I think, the Amazon side versus what they had before, um, and just a couple of minor changes. The salary cap, based on where the new CBA was, had COVID not happened, probably would have been somewhere between, you know, 230 and 235. So I, I think when we're looking at this salary cap jump, which again is is very big, um, you know, even if we're coming off that number, you'd probably be looking at a number that was around $23 million, um, $25 million, $20 million as the jump, which is about double what it had been in the past at about 10. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing that is important to keep in mind is this is the first year that the, the new media rights package hits. And that was also part of the estimates when I came up with originally. It was, I went back and I looked at the old television deal because I said, okay, if what happened in, um, I think it was 2014 when the, the last set of television contracts kicked in, it was either 14 or 15, but I think it was 14. Um, said, you know, the NFL probably has a very similar increase pattern. Um, you know, the, the way that they're, they're bringing that contract, um, 
the way that contract worked, that series of contract works, and the way that this one would work. And so that, that was where I kind of came up with the idea of, okay, the cap jumped this percentage between 2013 and 2014. I, I believe those were the years. Um, you know, we should see a similar type of increase in this time. So it's going to be a bigger percentage increase. And then in the future, it'll probably, you know, lessen a little bit, even if the numbers remain, <clears throat> you know, $20 million a year in salary cap growth. And I haven't updated unless Nick did something now. You know, so these numbers here, you see a 260 for 225, uh, for 2025. Um, you know, th these are probably going to be revised upwards. I'll, I'll do a little thought on it, but, you know, roughly I'm probably going to go back to like 275, 280, um, you know, maybe 300 in 2026. So those numbers will change accordingly. But, you know, don't get wrapped up that the cap is going to change uh, or grow every year by 30 to $35 million. I, I would be very surprised by that. Um, you know, I, I think you use the old CBA as a model, the last CBA as a model, and that should give you a pretty good idea as to the way things are going to increase, I think at least, um, over the next couple of years. So, you know, that, that'll be good to know, but just you can keep your eyes out on that. Um, a lot of people obviously go crazy. It's like, man, you found so much extra cap space. You know, it's, it, this is an extra 13 million, 11 million, 12, whatever it is over the projections that the teams had, the leagues had, the media had, you had, everyone had. It's all relative, okay? Washington had the most cap room in the NFL before this. They have the most cap room in the NFL after it. The Bills had the worst cap position, um... You know, the, actually it was the Saints, but the Saints did another restructure to just move ahead of the Bills. But, you know, the Bills had the worst cap position in the league before this. They still have the worst cap position in the league now. The spread between the Commander's cap room and the Bills cap room remains identical. Um, the only real beneficiaries from this are the handful of teams that are really rough with the cap. You know, the Bills, the Saints, the Dolphins, um maybe to a lesser extent, the Broncos. But it's those three teams where, okay, getting that extra salary cap room is a big benefit for them because, you know, you are cutting corners just to get anywhere. You know, so now now it's a little bit easier for you to, you know, take that path and, you know, get to be cap compliant and maybe make a couple of moves here and there. You know, I'm sure the Saints will make some moves. People say, I told you, it's magic. You know, be, be happy with your non-playoff seasons and every year, you know, dealing with this nonsense. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that's fun to keep an eye on, uh, you know, just throw it out there in light of that too. When you look at 2025, and usually I'll, I'll try to do one post on this a year. Um, this one's a little trickier only because we changed the numbers a bit. So I'll have to go back and look to see where things will be with the, the newer numbers that I'll put in. But one of the things that's kind of fun to see is what happens between um, the Super Bowl and um, basically the start of the league year to see how much changes in a team's salary cap position for 2025? Because that's this is the first spot as to where you see how kind of all-in teams go in on 2024 and how much they change in 2025. Um, you know, last year, I remember it was very clear 
that by the first week of March, the Chargers had dumped a ton of money from 2023 into 2024. And they didn't really subtract anything out. You know, there's other teams that subtract stuff out. They hadn't really done that. Um, so, you know, that that's always an interesting thing to, to look at. So, you know, if you're really kind of into this stuff, as the restructures come in, um, <clears throat> you know, always look at 2025. Look one year ahead. You can look two years ahead, but really look one year ahead. And you start to see how much of a focus is being paid in the current season and how much 2025, you know, the future year is kind of being disregarded. Um, the only other teams that this really maybe impacts a little bit, you know, might be a couple of those teams on top. And the only reason I say that is just because if there are a handful of free agents out there that, you know, they thought maybe they could pinch somebody on with a certain type of salary cap structure or payout, um, you know, that might be a little less likely right now. Um, but, you know, that kind of is what it is. Um, the other thing to keep in mind here, too, with these salaries that go up, so do teams' rookie pools, um, so do the tenders for all the different players, your franchise tenders, RFA tenders, proven performance escalators, uh, all that kind of stuff. So $10 is not entirely $10 million, but, um, you know, it, it's a... It's a healthy little jump for some of the teams. Um, now, people have asked this a lot, so I'll just put this out there once again. These salary cap figures that you see here have the official um, salary cap rollover numbers from the NFL. Um, those those numbers are set. They're done. They were done a couple days after um, the 2024 um, season. Uh, I'm sorry, the 2023 season came to a close. So... That is, uh, that's done right now too. So, um, right now that, that those are in these numbers. So when people ask me about it and the, you know, the 49ers is the one I get this a lot about, oh, why don't you have the 49ers roll over in there? Um, you know, you're showing them 5 million over the cap. They had like 35 million or 36 million in salary cap rollover. It's in there. Um, I am just not, you know, it, it's. It's there. That was how bad their salary cap was. That's the reason why San Francisco had all this money to carry over because they knew they'd have to double restructure. Basically, what that means is they needed money saved in 2023, which they weren't going to spend to help them be, you know, okay with the cap in 2024. So they can go out there and in 2024, they can restructure again. So you're getting the benefit of restructures two times over, um, you know, with what they're doing. And I'll talk about the 49ers maybe a little bit later. Um, you know, just, just with the, the rumors about Ayuk and, you know, maybe being traded and whatnot. Um, you know, but the, these numbers have carryover. They have estimates for proven performance escalators. They have estimates for players that have, like, um, incentives and stuff like that. What I don't have in here right now, uh, because I don't know the numbers, are the adjustments that come. The adjustments are what come from, um, you know, salary cap that was charged but not paid uh you know that that's like offsets and stuff like that you know th those kind of things like if a player had a two hundred thousand dollar guarantee you cut him um you know you were charged two hundred thousand dollars on the cap but let's say he signed with another team earned four hundred thousand dollars from that team you didn't actually pay him the two hundred thousand so you get a credit of two hundred thousand the next year likewise if somebody had an incentive in their contract for a million dollars they earned that million it didn't count on the cap in 2023 you will have a downward adjustment 
2024 of a million dollars. I don't have those numbers right now. Um, usually I put in estimates. I didn't put our estimates in there. Um, I believe the team that should have the most positive adjustment, I believe, is the Patriots. Um, there should be pretty decent sized. Um, you know, they, they had a couple of guys with uh, salary guarantees and a couple of uh, people who didn't earn per game bonuses and some other stuff. So, you know, I, I'd imagine that's going to be on the higher end um, of it. On the low end, the teams that love the negatives. I believe the Ravens and Buccaneers are probably the, the two worst um, when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, you know, th those numbers are not included in these estimates. So when we get those adjustments, um, those will be finalized. Uh, the other question that I get often all the time here, um, why don't these numbers match Spotrax numbers? I trust what we have here um, way more than anything there. That's all I'll say on that. They will eventually the numbers will match. Um, they'll come in and take whatever numbers that we have and they'll get the things to match up. So for those who ask about it, um, that's the reason why the, the stuff will eventually match. They just haven't done their Saturday night check of changes that we've made. Um, the other thing is, I, I know, because some people were asking me about specific teams, uh, their carryover numbers are not accurate at the moment. Um, you know, perhaps they'll, you know, change those at some point too. Uh, but usually that's when somebody announces those numbers. And I didn't, you know, make a big deal out of uh, what those numbers would be. So, you know, that those are things that need to be adjusted on their end um, that I know are off. And, you know, we do make mistakes from time to time. It's not like we don't. Um, you know, and so I'm always glad when people notice those, something doesn't add up properly or, um, you know, whatever. Uh, so less things on the cap here, just to, to bring it up, you know, talking about historically, I just pulled up a couple of, um, you know, things that I put in here before. So this here, if you're, you're looking along, it's the, the most growth that ever was in the cap. Um, so the, the biggest growth that was in the cap here was 19.3%. Uh, that was back in 2006. The 2006 collective bargaining agreement, that was the one that sent the NFL kind of, you like, just off. Um, it was the one CBA where the union made significant progress um, in really just in, in general negotiations. Um, it was It was a massive win. It was one that set a lot of owners off. It was one that had teams scrambling with what to do with the cap because all of their stuff was based on what was before. And in this era, you had to spend a percentage of the salary cap, not in cash, in cap numbers. So they had to modify contracts to bring cap numbers up uh, just to make sure that you would match those thresholds. This is the collective bargaining agreement that the league opted out of um, two years later. So, you know, they opted out of it. And then that led to the 2011 one, which was the worst job the union ever did. And you can see in 2011, uh, it was a 2.1% decrease in the salary cap, which is unheard of. Uh, and that was a decrease from 2009 because there was no cap in 2010. So it's a decrease from something two years before. 
um, because the league basically got a hard refresh um, on everything cap related. Obviously, in 2021, you have COVID. You just throw that out. That was an 8% decrease. Um, likewise, you know, in 2022, that's coming somewhat out of COVID at a 14% increase. I'd kind of throw that out. And, you know, the 13.6% this year, I would throw that out as well, only because, you know, it was based on a, a number in 2023 that was artificially low. Uh, if you look at the majority of numbers that you see here, um, 9.8%, you know, that, that's how things have gone. I broke things up by uh, decades as well. So from 1994 to 1999, uh, basically you had growth of 10.6% per year. Um, so that was the initial stages. So that was the most um, volatile cap situation year over year that we saw. Now, I think in that time frame, you, you were looking at CBAs that were like two years in length. So you may have had two or three CBAs that impacted that time frame. Uh, in those couple of years, it grew 65.6%. From 2000 to 2009, um, obviously there was that one massive jump, right? Uh, I think there were two CBAs negotiated during this time frame. Um, 8% was basically your yearly increase that was there. Total growth, 115% from 2000 to 2009. So you saw a lot of growth there. It mainly came from that 2006 CBA. Then you, you see the players get whacked in 2011. Your, your yearly increases dropped from basically, you know, 8% the decade before, 11% the year before. So let's say 8.5% to 9% to 5%. 53% growth over a decade. Just brutal. Um, you know, the, these last couple of years where there's been some crazy stuff that's going on, but... 2020 was a normal number and 2024 should be a normal number. So what we've seen is a 6.6% uh, increase, 35% um, over that, you know, that those couple of years that are there. So this looks like it should be better than 2011 to 2019, you know, where, where things are at at the moment. But I would imagine that this is kind of the where the NFL wants things to be. Um, you know, the, these kind of yearly increases that are, um, easy to kind of project, come up with, and kind of steady. And, you know, they, they don't want to see that spike that you saw in 2006. They don't care about this spike because this spike is an artificial spike. So this one's kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, so, you know, th this is just little things to keep in mind with uh, salary cap projections. So, yeah, so anyway, so that is the uh, the story on the salary cap right now. Um, so just bring that up there. Um, one of the things just, uh, we'll do this here real quick. If you're a premium subscriber, we do have our free agent rankings up. You can see that in the uh, top bar. It's just, uh, colored yellow says free agent rankings. So we have our top, um, 60 players right now. I'll, I'll add to this. We'll get up to 75 or hundred. Um, I may just do projections for a lot of them without a little write up for most of these you know, you can see a quick little write-up on each of the players if you just click on view. Um, <clears throat> you know, these are just rough estimates. Some of these players towards the top, I think now the salary cap has gone up. I think they're going to be looking for more. Um, doesn't mean they'll get it. Historically, 
it really hasn't worked that way. Salaries do not rise and fall with the salary cap. They kind of, you know, run independent of that, especially at the top of the market. Um, those better players do become a block. And a lot of times it's the, the lower end of the spectrum that kind of gets pulled up. And, um, you know, they're, they're the ones that pull it up uh, that are there. And then eventually that, that leads to the upper part of it uh, coming through. Uh, the other thing is if you go on the free agency tab in that section, click on free agent reports. Um, we have the, the different reports for the teams here. So let's click on the Giants. Uh, it's just PDF file, just a couple of charts, just a high-level overview um, of each team's kind of cap situation. So it'll give you where they were with the projected cap space. Obviously, this is based on the other salary cap, so everyone's number is going to be about $10 million higher. Uh, it looks at how much they have already sunk in future costs, future full guarantees, uh, how much invested on offense, defense, how much they're invested on cash, um, where that ranks within the league. Draft capital, how many restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents, snaps that are out there, what our OTC valuation was for those players, breakdown of how they compare to the league, um, a look at every one of their offensive players, what the valuation was. Now, that's not a contract projection. Valuation is just where we viewed those players last year. Um, you know, if we took all the money in the league, threw it back in a pool, said, okay, we're distributing this equally around this is what the the value of these players would be, um, you know. So it just gives you an idea of the quality of that player. Now, it could be a player who's hurt too. You know, player might have a, an artificially low number because they were hurt. And you miss ten games, you're not going to have a very high value. Um, so anyway, so those things are there if you're a uh, premium subscriber. Um, so you can check that stuff out. Um, you know, regarding that. So let's. Uh, Close that out. I'm just going to pull up some of these key metrics here. So um, this week was another weird discussion. I almost thought like, ah, this would be the only thing I'd end up really talking about this week. I guess one of the draft guys, I don't know if it was Daniel Jeremiah. I don't know which one. Um, I guess in a call or a segment on TV or just discussing, uh, I think it was a tight end, was like, I don't see the contract value in drafting him that high. And it was just like, wait a minute. After 10 years of me hammering about this this stuff, about you know the, these values that you get from drafting rookies and how that should be absolutely be part of your evaluation matrix, is somebody finally saying it? on a bigger platform, it's like, thank you. Um, you know, finally somebody is actually bringing that up. Um, you know, I, I thought that that was, that was kind of funny when that popped up in my timeline. Um, you know, Brad, I think commented, I was like, Hmm, if only somebody wrote a book on it, because, you know, Brad and I did that a couple of years ago where we looked at those things and discussed about, you know, the, the benefits that exist in the draft. And, you know, whenever these kind of things come up, People get very testy with it, and I, I don't. I still don't really understand why. You know, people get so caught up in the the evaluation process, and you know, it's like this guy is special. Like you're telling me, if he's a special player, we shouldn't take him. No, I'm not telling you that at all. But you can't guarantee me he's a special player. You know, that's the problem. 
as an evaluator, there's overconfidence all the time in it. You know, I, I use Joe Douglas as the perfect example because the Jets are always overconfident in what they do in the draft, right? They're, they always trade up, you know, for certain players. And then they'll tell you, I just wait till you see him. You know, he's special. And Joe Douglas's track record is like two of the best draft picks of the last five years and probably four of the worst draft picks of the last five years. Like, you can't look at that and say, oh, well, I have overwhelming confidence because Joe Douglas knows more than you. You know, Joe Douglas knows way more than me in terms of identifying a player that should be a first-round talent. But there's nothing that says that he has the magical formula to where that first-round talent that he's identified is going to be a star. In some cases, they don't belong in the NFL. And that's typical of many general managers around the league. You know, I'm just more familiar with the Jets than anyone else. You know, people come up with the comments like, well, what about the Lions? You know, so does this make the Lions a failure? No. And everybody's going to take risks. Everyone's going to, you know, you're always going to have teams that think outside the box. But that type of process, if you do that over and over and over and over again, it's not going to work out for you. You know, it's like if you go back to um, when the Atlanta Falcons traded for Julio Jones, on paper, that's a terrible trade, right? You're giving up future number one pick for a wide receiver. Julio Jones ends up being a Hall of Fame player, okay? You'd say, you know, you scored, you did great. How many other Hall of Fame players did Atlanta pick during that time frame? How many other times did they, you know, trade up and it didn't work out? Could you imagine if every year or every other year, since you're giving up a first round pick, they would go in there and say, okay, well, now this year we're going to, we're going to trade up and we're going to give a, uh, we're going to give a future number one to trade for, you know, to get a cornerback. Over time, that process doesn't work out. And, you know, the, the thing with when you, you look at the Lions, right, and what mainly what people are getting at is the running back and the tight end this year and to lesser extent the right tackle a couple of years ago. You don't necessarily even grade things on how things went right now. You know, and obviously those guys did contribute this year. Um, it's not like they didn't. But, you know, two, three years from now, what are you going to look at when you go to yourself? Oh, you know, we've got a pretty good tight end on the team, but... Man, you know, we, we we can't cover anybody in the secondary because we've we haven't drafted anyone to play corner. You know, or um, you know, it's like, well, we've got this running back, he's probably not gonna be here for a second contract, but you know, we can run him into the ground for one more year. And it's like, well, you know, but we couldn't come to a contract agreement with St. Brown and we don't have a receiver now. You know, you, you always have to be looking for the future in the NFL and you know the they'll I'm sure they'll extend, you know, and you can use whatever positions. I'm just throwing those those ones out there. Um, you know, you, you always need to be looking in the future. Like, I remember a couple of years ago, I was having a discussion with somebody who worked in front office. And, you know, they, they basically talked about what essentially was a luxury pick. I won't say which team, um, but it was a it was a good team. And it was essentially like, well, you know, we didn't feel like we had any holes. So we are... Um, you know, we thought this was fine. We thought this was, 
you know, good for the system. Now, it may have worked out, it may not have worked out, but the bottom line is that team eventually, in, you know, not too long after that, did have holes. And, you know, then it's almost like, well, you know, why did we take that position when, yeah, we didn't have a hole for this year, but we weren't really thinking about 2022, 2023, 2024, when we are going to have holes. And when you have holes in important positions, you can't fill them outside of the draft. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's what you have to look at when when you evaluate these things. Now, I bring up the tight end a lot and I'll use a wide receiver as a comparison. And the, the reason for that comparison is because oftentimes that's the decision. You, you're drafting a tight end because high. You're drafting a tight end high because they can catch the football. You're not drafting a tight end because they can block. All right. Yeah, that's wonderful if they can block. But, you know, you're not doing that. Typically, it's, you know, as a receiver. And if you compare the two positions, there's no comparison. Now, I'm not going to say that if you get Rob Gronkowski, um, you know, having Rob Gronkowski in his prime probably creates a a very unique advantage um, if you have the right personnel there with him, meaning a guy like a Tom Brady, all right, Um, that maybe is not going to be created by <clears throat> someone who projects to be an above-average receiver, but maybe not a spectacular receiver. But you don't know if you've got Gronkowski. Right? Gronkowski wasn't the top, you know, a, you know, top pick tight end. You know, it's not like he was picked in the first round. Um, you know, and tight ends, tight ends, and this is specific again to them. They're very system dependent. That's that's been my experience with tight ends. Um, you know, I remember Jimmy Graham, who was kind of a game changer in New Orleans, and New Orleans ran a, a very high powered um, open offense. And you know, they got into a contract squabble. They eventually came to an agreement. Things that they didn't like, I think, the way that things were looking long term. They were able to um, get Seattle to trade a first-round pick for him. He was never the same player in Seattle. And I remember this was the, the early days of OTC. And I, I remember looking at him and like doing a little study on it. And it was just like looking at how they're utilizing him. He was just being utilized differently, specifically in certain parts of the field where in New Orleans, he was putting up big numbers stretching the field in Seattle, they were still kind of clinging a little bit to um, a rotation that they like, more conservative style offense. And, you know, he was still good in the red zone, but, you know, wasn't really being utilized other parts of the field. And his numbers never reflected that of being a, a you know, higher level tight end, even though he was the highest paid tight end in the league for quite some time. And that was just a change from one system to another, even though he was still a, a terrific player you know now towards the end of his career when he's in Chicago and all that yeah he's he's not the same athletic player at that point in time but in those you know early years in Seattle he still should have been um you know so that that's just another thing with that position but you know I went back and I looked at some articles that I had written um this is really the one that I like here from 2022 and this has an evaluation of Pitts and Jamar Chase 
And but the the big thing is <clears throat> when you look at using the draft and using free agency, right? Those are the two ways that we can we can build our teams. Obviously, there's trades as well, but you know you're drafting players or you're acquiring them in free agency. If I pass on a player in the draft, I have to be able to get that same position in free agency, right? Obviously, I have a need. So if I have a need for a pass rusher and a need for a tight end, but I'm convinced that the tight end is the unicorn, right? That the Kyle Pitts is the unicorn, and I take my tight end, well, I still have to find a pass rusher. Where do I find him? And that's where you get into the into these issues here. So, you know, what what I looked at here was um I'm trying to think this yeah, this top twenty, I'm just looking here. So percent of top twenty veteran contracts from twenty seventeen to twenty twenty two that were acquired in free agency. So, you know, using edge, only about twenty eight percent of top twenty edge players were able to be acquired in free agency. When you get to tight end, that number is about 36 or 37%. So, <coughs> excuse me, um, you have more availability of higher level tight end players than you have edge rushers. All right. Um, you know, interior defensive line, left tackles, wide receivers, you know, 20% are available. Um, you know, our key metrics page where we just point those things out. You know, you can go here at wide receiver. So let's look at our top players. Extension, franchise tag. Now, there was a trade for Devontae Adams, but he's franchise. Extension, 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 franchise. Um, extension, extension, franchise. UFA, but this was a UFA re-signing. This was Mike Williams. Uh, Mari Cooper was a UFA re-signing with the Cowboys, and he got traded to the Browns. Deontay Johnson's an extension. Christian Kirk, that is our first real... Um, Free agent switch, $18 million a year to get Christian Kirk. Tyler Lockett, extension. Renfro, extension. Sutton, extension. Odell Beckham Street, Hopkins Street. Michael Gallup, Alan Lazard, Jacoby Myers. Uh, Gallup was a UFA, I believe, and then he re-signed with Dallas, but I'm pretty sure he actually made it to free agency. I, I don't think that was a February re-signing. Um, you know... So your typical type of players that you're going to get at wide receiver, for example, are Lazard and Jacoby Myers. Um, you know, an edge rusher, extension, 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 extension. Von Miller, UFA, a 32-year-old, 33-year-old pass rusher, $20 million a year. <coughs> Landry was a re-signing as a UFA. Barrett was a re-signing as a UFA. Alex Highsmith was an extension. Um, Danelle Hunter was a restructure. Reddick, uh, I think that was a pure UFA, $15 million a year. Um, you have to drop all the way down to Davenport um, with the Vikings at $13 million on the one-year deal. So that's what you're getting when you don't draft those positions. And you're going to spend a lot on it. So, you know, the, the example that I had here was the Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase one. So the draft cost is identical because the draft, the cost of the draft pick is independent of the position. This is not what it was in 2010. In 2010, where you drafted a player, gave a range of outcomes, all right? The position that player, uh, player pay, played, 
oh, tongue twister there, right? Um, dictated what that final contract would be. Not anymore. All right? So for Kyle Pitts, we're hoping for this unicorn tight end. <coughs> if we're lucky enough to get the best available wide receiver, um, you know, which uh, was Christian Kirk, we would have $26.2 million invested in those two players. If we take Chase, and that's $8.3 million, same same cost, we spend twelve point five on the best tight end that was available that year. That was Hunter Henry. Our total cost would be 20.7. Which team do you think is better? Jamar Chase, Hunter Henry, and an extra five and a half, six million dollars to spend, or Kyle Pitts, Christian Kirk, and five million less to spend than the other team. And you can do this with every position, right? You know, the other way you can look at it is say, well, you know, Hunter Henry wouldn't be available. Okay, I will get myself a, a whatever tight end, a Dalton Schultz. Let's say he costs $8 million. We're talking about a $16 million investment, Jamar Chase, um, Dalton Schultz. If we'd done the Kyle Pitts thing, I know we're changing years here. We use our average investment there. We'd have $11 million spent on the wide receiver to bring it in like an Alan Lazard. Okay, so we we would have um, three million dollars less to spend in the Kyle Pitts scenario, and our team would be Pitts Lazard versus Jamar Chase and um, Dalton Schultz. You're going to be a much better team with Chase and Schultz than you are going to be with Pitts and Lazard. So you have to utilize, um, you know, those kind of numbers. What, what these different benefits are that you see. The money that you're saving by not having to go and sign a player. Um, you know, that that's what we're looking here. A cap benefit over the average available player. Um, you know, what that benefit is uh, for the, the percentage of players that who are available, you know, in free agency. And you can make an adjustment to your grades on that. Um, you know, th this little chart that I did was basically, depending on what time frame you want to look at, if you, you were a six-year period or three-year, three-year meaning, you know, you, you might be seeing more different trends um, in free agency. So we look at the last three years, um, you know, and you, you can determine, um, you know, how you want to change your stuff. So, you know, quarterback, you might want to multiply their grade by 1.3, um, you know, when comparing to like another player. Uh, you know, the grade of a guard should be dropped by like 42%. Now, main, mainly we're talking about first-round picks here. I'm uh, not talking about later in the draft. We're talking about first-round picks. You know, it, grade, you drop it by that. Why? Because there's tons of these guys available in free agency. And they're not that expensive. So you're not really getting a, a benefit on it. And, you know, you can look at it. There's another way to look at it, too. And... That's just in terms of what you need these players to be. So where you get to the Detroit Lions scenario, you've created a scenario draft-wise where you don't leave yourself a margin for error, right? Because if you take a tight end, he's got to be a unicorn. He's got to hit. You know, like Kyle Pitts is not a unicorn. He's a good player. He's not a unicorn. So that that's a failed draft pick at the moment, 
Right? Even though he's a good player, it's a failed draft pick because you're moving on. You know, the coach got fired, so obviously didn't work out. Um, but, you know, the other thing is the bust potential is not that high. So if you look at, like, the eighth pick, um, you know, in the draft, <clears throat> that would rank. Now, this was for last year. It would have been the 27th highest paid quarterback. So basically that that's borderline backup level play. Um, so even though, yeah, it sucks if you draft a player number eight overall and you end up with, you know, Zach Wilson or something like that. But if that guy can fill a backup role for you, it justifies or almost justifies the salary that you're paying him. As an edge rusher, that number eight pick would have to be the 36th best edge rusher in the league. So that means he could be a situational player and it would still justify the salary. Disappointing, yeah, but it would still justify the salary. He'd be the 43rd ranked wide receiver. It's like a low-level number two. That This is for a top 10 pick. You know, we have these sky-high, you know... Um, projections for these players they don't have to reach that to live up to the contract that they're given okay but you know as you get to these other ones you know running back you know has to be the 15th best he's got to be the 12th best center uh would have to be the 25th ranked tight end you know that's not terrible um you know 25th at, at number eight 30th ranked safety 23rd ranked linebacker 22nd ranked guard 18th ranked right tackle. Um, you know, so I, I just thought that, that this is really the way that we should be looking at these things when it comes to the draft, where you, you kind of determine, um, uh, excuse me, um, you know, where things would be. And we have rankings uh, percentile among starters, you know, if you just, if you wanted to look at it that way, um, you know, and it just gives you that idea. You know, like the, the eighth pick in the draft, um, you know, has to be like an above average center. He's got to be above average running back, above average safety, above average linebacker, above average guard. But, you know, you, you're getting to lower level starter categories when you, you're at some of these other positions. Um, you know, then you have availability during the, uh, um, you know, free agency, how many are acquired via trade. And so... These are all in there. So, I mean, if you want to look this up, it's free agent availability in 2023. Um, you just do a Google search, mention over the cap, and put something like that in there. Um, <clears throat> you know, you, you can take a look at this chart. It's Right now I have it just up on YouTube here, but you can read through the article. And it gives you all the different things, the different factors that really should be in play um, when we're looking at these things. You know, and the, the other thing, just to, in free agency in general, um... You know, one of the things that I looked at the other day, and there was just some discussion on this, and this is, you know, how much money that we spend on these free agents and how there really isn't a payoff on it. And what I did was I, I looked at the free agents from last year, and uh, basically I came up with my own way to do a little return on investment. So I ranked the players as a percentile as to, you know, where their contract ranked relative to the, um, I think it was top five players at the position, the top five salaries at that position. Uh, then I used our valuation metric to determine the value that those players gave relative to the top five values at the position, like 
some positions this year, like guard, was really low. I, I have to go back and look to see why that was. Um, I'm just thinking guys just didn't play the full season. Maybe just play was down overall. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it was just, just to keep it in line, you know, where did they rank relative to that? So if you looked at it, the, the free agents that were uh, ranked in terms of salary relative to the position. Now, th- this is all offensive and defensive positions. This does not include punters, kickers, long snappers. That just throws everything off. Um, so the players that were number one through number 10 in terms of salary, um, basically you paid a, a 25% premium. You know, they, 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 there was a disparity in the sense that, you know, you, you were ranked pretty high on the salary scale, but you were just a moderate return, um, you know, relative to the rest of, uh, of the league at the position. 11 through 20, that drops to 17%. 21 to 30 drops to 8.2%. And then you get your positive returns. So starting with player who's valued number 31, that was a 3.7% positive. Number 41, 7.8%. 3.178. 3.5, 0.7. Now, when we're doing these in increments of 10, you know, one player can throw some things off, um, you know, a little bit in there. But you, you get the idea that Basically, what happens is that the first 30 free agents off the board um, are overpaid, and it's those first 10 that are dramatically overpaid relative to the position and relative to the production you get. So you don't want to be paying these premiums because you need to um, overpay to lock up these positions that you whiffed on or that you just didn't select in the draft. You want to be here where you're getting the 30th ranked player, not the 30th at a position, just the 30th overall. You know, that might be the third player at a position. Because at this point, because things calm down, um, you know, so if you look, it's almost always positive. All that means is that the salary falls in line with what the player has done production-wise. It falls in line with probably how they've produced over their career, Whereas those top free agents sometimes are based just on a very, you know, not, not I'm not going to say a small sample, but it's based on one year of production. Like a, like a Hargrave, right? That was one year of production. Like Hargrave being paid 20 made no sense when he was paid, you know, he's basically a $13 million type player. Um, you know, that's what he's been for his career. And it's like the one year he's got, don't expect that again. But that that's what we do when we go and we, we make big splashes in free agency. But... If you can create a roster through the draft to where you are supplementing, where, you know, you, you're taking these guys who at a position are going to be ranked as free agents, number three, number four, number five, number six, you're getting the right return on investment. Um, you are having a salary that's slotted to where you're not going to look at it and say, yeah, that's a salary albatross. Like that, that's a bad pick. Um, you're not going to have that. You know, you, you're going to go in there and you, you've got a, a good opportunity of the player living up to his contract. If he outperforms it, you know, that's great. But if he doesn't and he plays to that level, that's fine too. But, you know, that that's why you find your stars in the draft. Yeah, and you might be able to find them through trades as well, but... You know, you're you're basically finding your stars in the draft, and then you're supplementing, um, you know, with these other players, 
And it, it's those couple of other players, <clears throat> you know, at certain positions, you know, that, that you can make out pretty well on. And if you look at a position-by-position position basis, like, you can find cheap linebackers and safeties in free agency, and they always perform pretty well. Um, you know, don't, you know, that that's a waste of a draft pick. You know, maybe once in a while you'll get someone spectacular, but um, more often than not, you probably won't. Um, you know, but uh, I, I just thought that that was kind of an interesting discussion that came up this week. Uh, let's see, I mentioned the 49ers before. So let's take a look here just real quick. Oops, let me pull them up. So San Francisco right now about $5 million over the cap. Um, you've got Trent Williams at 31-6, Debo Samuel 28-6, Armstead 28-4, Warner 24-5, Kittle 21-9, Ward 18-4, Hargrave 15-4, Bosa 14-7, McCaffrey 14-2, Ayuk 14-2, 14-1. This is a very, very top-heavy roster. And you can see the kind of things they're going to have to do just to kind of stay, um, you know, stay the course for this year. And, you know, they're going to have a chance to run it back this year uh, with their their team intact if that's what they, they opt to do. But this is where when you look ahead for them, um, you know, that things, I, th- I think, just kind of become, a, you know, more trouble. So, you know, when, when you are um, evaluating why they're saying we might be trading Ayuk or why people are talking about that, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you've got Debo Samuel who's not tradable at these numbers, Right. He hasn't lived up to the contract. You know, people get all up in arms over those kind of things. And, you know, you, you get all these comments. Well, you know, he doesn't put up the same numbers as other guys because he's hurt. Well, yeah, that that's not a good thing. That's not a good excuse. Like, part of this is you want players to be available. You know, if you have a guy who has an injury history, that's not a good thing. Well, take a look at, you know, how many total yards he produces. Do you think... That the San Francisco 49ers are paying Debo Samuel 22 or 23 or whatever they're paying him a year because he can run the ball occasionally? Like, honestly, do, do you really think that? You know, he, he gets like an extra $250,000 if he gets 350 rushing yards. That shows you what they value the rush. They, they value, you know, 350 rushing yards is worth $250,000 on a contract where the dude's paid like $22 million. No, you're paying him to be a receiver. You know, does he have those games where he does really well? Yeah. He's got a lot of games where he just doesn't do anything. Um, but you probably it, it you probably can't afford to have both. Um, especially when you look at this roster and you say, how much longer do we have with Williams? How much longer do we have with Kittle? How much longer do we have with, you know, some of these players? Hargrave, McCaffrey... It's not long. And you've got to be planning for the future. Ayuk will bring you back a one plus some more. You know, this gives you a chance to kind of replenish what you lost by everything that you gave up for Trey Lance. Now, some of the Trey Lance stuff is offset by the fact that you did kind of luck into Purdy um, in the seventh round. Now, I don't want to get into an argument about what his ceiling is or is not. 
Um, but, you know, he's a functional NFL starter, at the very least. Um, but, you know, you, you need to fill out the roster. And while, yes, it stinks, um, you know, to, to have to get rid of someone who is your most productive receiver, if that's what they choose to do, you're doing it because you're, you're trying to build for the future. And remember, you, you're going to have your quarterback looking for $40, $45 million a year, and he's not even factored into this. So, you know, that, that changes the equation for everything. Um, <coughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, but you can have the option, and maybe they'll opt into this way to do it. We want to take one more run at it, do it with Ayuk, leave him at this number, hope he doesn't complain about the contract. Um, we run it back with all these guys, and then we, we just really start to take it apart next year. But his trade value will be lower next year, even if he's tagged. It's it's you know, it's not going to be the same. And you know, so your your option is twenty twenty four season without Ayuk, but getting probably a one and say a four, um, versus having him on the team this excuse me this year, and then next year not getting anything. You know, maybe getting a maybe a third round compensatory pick in uh, 2026. So, you know, I, I think that's something they have to juggle. And I, I think at this point, you have to have that realization, like we've been close multiple times. We're not getting over the hump. And the odds of us getting over the hump are probably kind of limited. This is very similar to, uh, I think, Buffalo. And... You know, Buffalo doubled down, and they're, they're in not a great position um, right now. But, uh, you know, you, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be where Buffalo is at. So, you know, I, I think that that is, you know, should be um, at least in the mind of San Francisco. But, you know, when the, those trade talks come up, uh, I think that that's a reason as to why they come up. Now, he may be completely unhappy if you don't do an extension, there are ways you can do an extension and keep open the trade possibility. So, I mean, maybe you could do something like that. You know, just a, a little bit of extra cash this year, not that much. Leave yourself one of those, you know, summary options or no option the next year. Uh, just have it to where there's not a no trade clause. And you can try to look to trade him. You won't get a one, you know, but maybe maybe you'll get a two at that point. Um, you know, so that, that could come into play as well. Uh, so... You know, I think that that's just a, uh, you know, just, just kind of the way that you, you need to look at some of those things uh, with it. Um, let's see if there's anything else interesting. Miami. Uh, let me pull up Miami here. Where's Miami? Miami's starting to slash their roster. So, Xavier Howard here is post-June 1 cut. So, everybody gets, like, wrapped up in these things. So, Howard was informed that he's going to be released. All right, his cap number is twenty five point nine million. Everyone's gonna well, they they pick eight, they pick up eighteen point five million in space, right? He, only seven point four uh, dead. Um, you know that that's gonna be dead money for him uh, with the post June one. You don't get those salary cap savings until June second. So Xavier Howard's post June one release doesn't help you during free agency. Okay, his cap number remains 
$25,906,284. On June 2nd, it will change to $7.4 million and you'll create $18.5 million in cap space, which you can use for your draft picks, you can use for extensions, you can use for whatever. But that does not help you um, right now. So uh, you can see we have them colored in a little different color here. So I, th I think Nick did this. So we're going to try and identify the June ones this year. Um, so, you know, he is clearly going to be that. That's why he's already marked that way. Um, you know, but that that's that's what we you have to take into account when you look at that. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned in Xavier Howard. Um, this goes for a lot of the teams that have done this. Ripping up the contract of a veteran player to do another contract because he's unhappy, because you just don't feel like listening to his agent complain, um, because you you know you you think that the guy is going to continue to perform at these high levels, you cannot do that with a veteran player. You know if you want to do it with a guy who's third year in the league and you want to say okay yeah you know you're going to get more from that. Um, you know, you can do that. You should not do it with these players who have um, multiple years left on an existing contract. You know, unless you just really want to be a good guy about it, um, it costs you in the long run. Whether that is the, you know, the Rams have done that with uh, Cooper Cup. They did it with Robert Woods, I believe. Um, you know, Aaron Donald, obviously. The Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Um, that, that's a little bit of a different scenario, but... You know, that's kind of what they did. You've got this one here. Um, you know, Antonio Brown had some stuff that was done uh, years ago. You know, it's just, it, it's going in the wrong direction if you're a team. Um, you know, the the NFL, I, I don't blame, you don't blame the players, all right? Players should aim to get every dollar they should get. But when you do your deals, you have to know this. And when you're a team and you're running a team um, and all this stuff is important, you know, it's better to deal with what's a minor headache and try to make the situation work rather than letting it become a major headache, um, you know, for you down the line. Because... It, this didn't do anything for Miami, um, you know, because he had that great year. After you gave him incentives to have a great year, you're like, okay, look, we'll take his existing contract and, you know, we'll throw in some incentives in there that he can earn if that'll make him happier. Uh, let me pull up his contract history here. So this is 2019. He signed the deal for 15, uh, which he probably shouldn't have signed. Um you know, so in 2022, they gave him the opportunity to earn more. He was set to earn 12.97, ended up earning 13.7. I don't know if I have his incentives here that he earned. Um, yeah, he got a Pro Bowl, 70% playtime, 80% playtime, 90% uh, playtime. So actually, that was 2021. That was 21 that they added that stuff in there. So he had a, he earned a lot more, um, two million, two five. And then uh, some other stuff. Maybe one of those was Escalator. Or some other stuff afterwards, too. They, you know, you know what it was? They moved money up. 
that that was it. They moved money up. So he earned a bunch of incentives this year. They moved money up for him in uh, 2022. And, you know, it was just still unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. And it's like his salary at that point, originally was $12 million. They, they, These numbers here, um, per game bonuses. Um, oh, actually, that's what it was. I'm sorry. Um, so the, the money move up was 2021, not 2022, the incentives there. Uh, this wasn't a money move up. This was to <coughs> take into account that the added incentives made him give up his 17th game check. Um, so they added it in as a salary cap charge as well. Um, so that's what those were in there for. So, you know, if they don't touch his contract, um, you know, the original salary cap charges in 2022-2023 or just in 2023, eh, no, 22 and 23, we'll call it, uh, because that's when he redid the stuff. You know, you're looking at salary cap charges of about $25 million. Um, dead money this year would have been 1.3 had they not had to touch his contract. And they may not have had to because his cap numbers would have been 16-4, 15-4, um, you know, in those two years. Instead, um, you know, he ends up with the cap numbers of 10 and 10, take-home salary of 18-2-5 plus incentives. So he ends up getting a 19-2-5 on a, um, you know, incentive that they probably should not have put in there. Um, you know, because, you know, doing the, doing big numbers on... Uh, Pro Bowl incentives, once a player has established himself as someone who's a name, that's a bad idea for a team um, because it's too easy to get a Pro Bowl nod. You don't have to be good. You just have to be healthy enough, um, you know, make a couple of interceptions or something, and, you know, they'll, they'll throw you a Pro Bowl nod. Uh, 18-2-5, so, you know, he ends up earning... Um, about 37 million, 38 million instead of 25. Um, you know, and now you're looking at cap charges of about 23 million that are going to hit the salary cap, you know, ultimately over the 2024 and 2025 season. And, you know, that that's all because they didn't want to deal with the headache. They didn't want to, to just come up with a different way of doing it. And, you know, they, they did this contract that made him, maybe it made him the highest paid for a couple of days there uh, or close to it, um, but it was just unnecessary. It was unneeded. And those are the kind of things where, you know, the payoff on them is small. You know, digs in Buffalo, that's another example. The payoff on these things is small. You know, it's, it's not that big. So again, you know, you want to be the good guy doing it. You know what? If you're the Rams and you want a Super Bowl and you're so thrilled you want to do it with Donald and Cup. All right, at least you'd want a Super Bowl. Miami's won nothing. So, you know, this this to me is not this is not the kind of stuff that you need to do um when you're a team that is it's not even about getting over the hump. You know, Buffalo's a team trying to get over the hump. Miami's a team just climbing up a little hill. Um, you know, when you're those kind of teams, you know, that, that don't have that, you know, that history to go on right now, um, you know, you don't want to be doing stupid stuff, you know, and that to me is stupid stuff. You know, like when you look at some of these teams, like the Jets are probably going to do stupid stuff this offseason. They shouldn't be doing stupid stuff. The Jaguars should not be doing stupid stuff, you know. 
I'm just looking. The Chargers should not be doing stupid stuff. The Raiders should not be doing it. You know, you've got to learn how to deal with these situations. And then on top of that, if you're Miami, you've just set yourself up because what what when the next player comes in there and says, "Man, you know what? I I my my deal I signed sucked." You know, you did this here. Why are you doing it for me? You know, you, you've already set yourself up with that. So, you know, in my mind, that's just like a, a terrible decision that um, that Miami made. And I think it was one that you could have seen kind of happening. Um, Hello, Jacob. Oh, we got a, it's over here, I, I guess. What do you need it for? I want to use it to, so I can talk with Econ. Is it bedtime, Jake? I don't care. Jacob. Right. I don't have bedtime on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, guest appearance from Jacob looking for a phone. Um, so anyway, you know, but that that's, it's not specific to Miami, but the, this one stood out and not surprisingly, um, you know, that that happened. All right. Let's take a look at uh, questions that we have. Now, I was going to use my cell phone for um, looking up emails. Let me see if I can do this on the other computer here. My son uses this one for stuff. Megan uses it for some school things too. Let me see if I can just open this one up. We'll do some emails first. <clears throat> Let's see here. Let's see what we've got. All right. Oh, maybe I don't have too many in the email. Okay, this is from Jason. Kirk Cousins has a dead money hit at 28.5 when his deal voids at the start of the league year. This is made up of prorated amounts, a few extensions. Um, if the Vikings are unable to re-sign him until after the contract voids... Um, such as re-signing him as a free agent, does this dead money stay in place in full? Yeah, so I would imagine that given the size of this dead money at 28.5, which is significantly different than, say, Chris Jones with $3 million or so with um, Kansas City, uh, if there is no deal in place by March 13th, I think his deal voids on March 13th, so if there's no deal in place by March 12th, it really doesn't make sense at that point for Minnesota to um, change course um, and do the deal. Uh, it looks like he would be on the books for 28-5 dead, plus what the new contract is right. That's exactly how it would work. Or can they attach a new contract to the existing dead money prorations? Um, no. So, yeah, so... In other words, the deal has to be done before the deal, the existing contract voids um, to be able to avoid that dead money accelerating. Like that, that's why the Vikings moved Davenport's um, voiding date to the same day as Kirk Cousins and Daniel Hunter's. It was just so it gives them the maximum amount of time to negotiate an extension and avoid all that money hitting the cap. Uh, is the void date a hard and fast deadline to do anything? Um, yes. So what, once it's once the void is set as the last day of the league year, 
there's nowhere else it can get pushed without an extension. Um, I think an extension is the best fast forward for a rebuild. Can't get it, assuming they can't get a top QB at 11. Drafting a prospect, uh, running it back with Cousins may be the only option. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think if it was me, I, I would move off if I'm Minnesota. Um, you know, Minnesota is Minnesota is probably a team that's like Detroit. Um, you know, I, I think that you've got this range of outcomes. If Cousins is healthy, that probably ranges. You know, most years from like eight to ten wins, but you know, occasionally you're going to have those years where you get every bounce goes your way and you get to twelve. Um, you know, in those twelve those years where you get to twelve, it totally throws off. Um, you know, you, you kind of your expectations. It, it kind of throw or yeah, it throws off your expectations on a team. Um, you know, you, you see that and you're like, yeah, they should be there. They should be there. They should be there. And it's like, unless you've got one of these special quarterbacks, you can't just say you're going to be there, um, you know, by running it back with him. So, you know, I, I wouldn't, in my mind, it's, it's time to turn the page on the Kirk Cousins era. Uh, but you know, I, I can, I can see that, you know, why that wouldn't happen. Um, Colin, uh, can you please describe the difference between void years and dummy years? Um, is this a way to describe the difference between uh, difference between void years with cap charges and those without? No, I I, I actually use that that term interchangeably. Um, recently, there have been a couple of teams, like New Orleans, is one of them. Um, you know, they're utilizing a true dummy year in the sense that, you know, like with um, Jameis Winston, for example, uh, what they did is they have a contract here with him that has a salary. It's got the prorated money and it has attached to it like a condition that, you know, if he's on the roster on the second day of the league year, um, he earns a guaranteed $50 million base salary in like 2027 or 2028 or something like that. So this isn't an automatic void, but clearly it's not a year they're going to honor. So, you know, I might call that a dummy year, but in general, I, I use that term, you know, interchangeably, but it's a dummy year in the sense that like, you'll see Jameis Winston listed as a free agent. Um, and you can see on his page it says void because clearly this is a void. It's just that he's going to carry a June 1 designation um, to help them with their salary cap. Uh, they paid him $100,000 to do this because he didn't have to do it. So they gave him 100000 bucks to, uh, you know, to take this deal so that they could defer salary cap charges. Um, you know, so this lets them carry him at 46 rather than having it all be hit this year at 10.75. Um, but, you know, they, I, I use the word interchangeably as to a, uh, a dummy or whatever. Um, you know, but that 
this is the true dummy year, I guess, in the sense that, yeah, if you see someone with a base salary listed, um, like him, like a Michael Thomas, those are pure dummy years that those players are going to be a June 1 cut. Um, let's see. This is from Werner. I uh, hope you're doing fine. Let's start with the statement. People who root for the Jets for more than a decade are not called fans. They're martyrs. Nah, I don't really know what we are. And stupid. Um, that's what we are. Uh, let's see. How much does it hurt to see the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl with basically the Jets' intended formula? Suffocating defense combined with a top-notch quarterback. Orchestrating a mediocre offense just to score enough. Um, I, I don't see really the similarity between the two because um, the Chiefs run a functioning offense. The Jets do not. Um you know, the, 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 they're very different strategies, um, kind of as, as I, I think the way the Chiefs approach it is different, um, you know, than, than kind of what the Jets are doing. The, the Jets, to me, are not playing to suffocate you. Maybe the coach leans into that rhetoric a lot. Um, Jets don't really have much of a game plan. Like, Chiefs do. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think the the team right now that probably has to be the most disappointed is Buffalo, because I think Buffalo, instead of, um, I think I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. I, I think Buffalo thought that they needed it to be a track meet against the Chiefs. And I think they let the Chiefs' offense get off too easy with some of the stuff they did defensively when the Chiefs were happy to play a different style of game. Um, and I think at the end of the game where Buffalo just got all confused with what they were doing, you know, that, that kind of played um, right into it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think that was the Jets' intended formula. Um you know, I don't even think the Jets are a suffocating defense. You know, the, the Jets are a, a really good secondary. Um, and an ability to generate like, in a, like a pass rush in certain situations. Um, but I, I think when you, you look at the Jets, and I, I know PFF graded them as the, the highest ranked defense on the year. Um and I, I know they didn't always have the best situations to work with, but watching them week in, week out, I would not say the Jets were one of the best defenses in the NFL. I'd say the Jets were an above-average defense in the NFL. Um, you know, there are certain positions they have trouble covering. They're not very good against the run when teams could kind of try to close out late against them. Um, you know, and they, and they do stupid penalties. That, that's been a problem for them for years. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a little bit different. Uh, what's the way forward for the 49ers? Um, so I, I, I don't think there's a, a real clear way forward for them. I, I think if you are San Francisco, this is where you're just looking ahead and saying, we take one more shot with this team, and now it's just... A, our work is to make sure that our quarterback can kind of take a step to the next level to where he's lifting up younger players that are less established than the Kittles and the Samuels of whatever the world. And he's able to play with um, 
players who need to develop and he can help raise them up or the system raises them up. Um, that's basically what you, you have to do. So I think given where they're at, I would look at this and say, let's run it back this year. Don't do anything dumb that would really hurt us in 2025 and then be ready to just you know, completely cut bait in 25. The other thing that I would do is um, for this year specifically, if the team does not fire, um, <coughs> and obviously you're going to have to make some changes with salary cap numbers anyway, the players that you think might be tradable, don't screw around with those players' contracts because you want to keep that opportunity mid-season to be able to trade somebody. Um, you know, if you, if things are not going well for you, um, you know, look to trade some of those guys rather than having to cut them the next year. How do you see a trade of Russell Wilson and Patrick Sertain to the Patriots for a symbolic cost, like a seventh? Um, they get a bridge quarterback at 54 and a good DB for two. Uh, they can unload both. Um, I So I don't think that the Patriots would go for that. Um I, th- I do think that the, the Broncos would go for a trade like that, or maybe they would. Like, I, I had floated that, I think I actually floated that, not to that team, but just that package out there as a possibility of maybe you could get somebody to eat the Wilson cost um, by doing that. But here's the problem. I, I'm not sure if a team wants to commit two years to Russell Wilson. So that's part of the problem. If you trade for Russell Wilson, you're committing two years to Russell Wilson. So I, I think that's part of the problem. Um, and I don't know. Patriots are cheap. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's really going to change. Um, you know. But uh, you know, I, I I think that contract would be a problem. I think he would have to um, change his contract. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they have to do that. Um, you know, I, I think they have to trust, um, uh, what do you call it? They, they, they just have to trust that, uh, you know, somebody will sign them and they'll, they'll get whatever for it. I, I, it's just not a good situation. Um, Let's see here. This is from Mark. Uh, past 10 seasons, Eagles spent the most. Patriots spent the least. Trying to locate difference would show up in the cap. Um, I'll have to look this one over a little bit more. Uh, Mark, if you can email me again this week, uh, I just got to look over it. Um this is probably about right, uh, kind of what you're looking at. <coughs> uh, excuse me, where you know you, you're kind of looking at um, you know futures cost with the Eagles, which are incredibly high, and the Patriots, which are very low. Uh, but send me a follow up email, and I'll try to look a little closer into your question. Um, you know, either via email or on the podcast later on. All right, let's take a look here. All right, let's see what we've got. All right. Don't look too crazy with questions, so that's good. All right, Todd. Nachos, shredded cheese or queso? Queso. Michael, 
Uh, Wire Mahomes is 28 and 29 cap numbers so low. Uh, if I remember correctly, they moved money maybe from those years. Let's take a look. I'm too lazy to look up the contract history here. I think these might be the years they move some. So I think it was two things. I think they moved some money out of these years uh, to move forward as part of the this uh, redone deal that they did where um, I, th I think they move money up. And the other reason is that the prorated money isn't hitting yet for those years um, because the signing bonuses haven't touched them at all. But I think they move money forward. Let me look on the back end here. Yeah, Mahomes was originally scheduled in 2028 to earn 44.45. It's now 27.18. And he was uh, scheduled to earn 44.95. It's now 35 um, in that year. And what they did is they took that money from those years and they brought them forward where they gave him the raise in salary in 24. Um, sorry, in 23 from 40 to 56.8. Um, in 24, he went from 37.9 to 50, or to 45, and he went from 42 to 50 million in 2025. Um, 42 to 56.7 in 2026. Uh, he took a seven million dollar decrease in 2027, 20, and then those big decreases in um, 28 and 29, and then he took, you know, five million or so decreases in 2030-2031. So basically what the Chiefs are doing with this is they're going to con uh, continuously take money from these future years, keep moving it forward, keep moving it forward, keep moving it forward to keep Mahomes happy, keep his agents happy um, when it comes to the cash flows on the deal because it's a, it's a terrible contract for him um, just in, in terms of, you know, um, everything really, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll move that money forward. And then when it gets, when he gets to these final couple of years and there's no money left in those years, then they'll redo a contract. Um, but <coughs> for now they're going to utilize that money as a way to, um, you know, kind of help out, uh, you know, in these couple of years to, to keep things from, you know, the cap getting, uh, bad, Thoughts on the Lions cap situation? What do you like? What do you not like? Does signing a high-priced free agent make sense? Um, no, I, I don't think so. You know, so number one, I think what you talk about right here, you know, their own players needing extensions, right? You're going to do an extension for Jared Goff. Um, I, I think at this point, that's a given. You know, I wouldn't have said that two years ago. Um, you know, Jared Goff's career easily could have been Carson Wentz's career. It has not been. So... You know, your your benefit that you get on Jared Goff, which is, you know, basically having a quarterback at, I don't know, $30 million a year or something like that, you know, that, that that's gone. Um, you know, once you have to do that deal, let me pull up Detroit. Let's see, where's Detroit? Um, you know, Jared Goff, you know, $32 million cap hit, and, you know, the, the he'd had so much of his salary paid for originally by the Rams, um, you know, you, you've got your starting quarterback on an effective contract of like $28, 29000000 million a year is really what that worked out for them at. Maybe it was probably even less than that. 
um, that number is going to move up to 45, you know, 40, 40, 42, 43, 44, whatever that number is, <coughs> you know, unless something crazy happens, you know, there's no reason for Jared Goff to be taking a Geno Smith deal. So, I mean, may, maybe he will, maybe they, maybe Detroit will surprise me and they'll, they'll convince him. But, um, I, I think if I'm Detroit, you know, I, I think I'm saving up to, to make sure I can do an extension with him. Uh, you know, I need to extend my wide receiver. That's probably got to get done this off season. Um, you know, uh, that, that's, he's going to be pretty unhappy if you don't do that. Um, I think, you know, their roster on offense is pretty good. Uh, you know, you, you, you need a couple of pieces here and there, but, um, you know, I, I think by and large, what you're going to focus on are some of those, you know, what I talked about like earlier in the podcast, some of those players who are um, third, fourth, fifth ranked, maybe cornerbacks, um, you know, th- those types of players, you know, maybe another linebacker or two, um, you know, that you're going to bring in defensively to try and improve. But I, I think, um, you know, even though you do have all this cap room, I, I think you want to focus first on let's use what we've got to use on our own guys and then let's see how much we should have left over to um, utilize in free agency to try to help us out. Canes, in a tag and trade of Brian Burns, what kind of trade compensation should the Panthers expect to receive? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, no more than one first round pick. No more than that, I don't believe. And I'm not even sure it would be that. Uh, I think that that was a big mistake when they turned down that uh, the two first round picks. Um, I don't think teams are going to be afraid of paying Burns, you know, around $30 million a year. But I do think that they would balk at trading a lot for him and paying $30 million a year. Ricker, uh, if a player has a roster bonus due on, say, the fourth or whatever day of the league year that is not guaranteed and that player is designated post 6-1 prior to the fourth day, allowing them to hit free agent early, does the team not owe the roster bonus? Right, the team does not owe the roster bonus. So it'll count on the cap, but that's one of the reasons why you would use a post-June 1 in that case. You're trying to avoid having to pay that roster bonus out while still being able to cut the player and get that salary cap benefit. So... One of the reasons that post-June 1 was designed was to avoid things like those roster bonuses kicking in. It was uh, basically to allow you a workaround on the roster bonus and the workout bonuses, um, you know, and get that salary cap benefit. Logan, the cap went up for more uh, more than most people expected. Uh, What's the long-term outlook? Um, Should we expect these types of jumps to continue? Um, So, no. You know, not this type of jump, but it's going to be more than $10 million a year. You know, but it, it'll be some kind of steady state percentage, um, you know, as to, to what that is. You know, I'm not sure, but I mean, if you're, if you were looking at, um, you know, what they did in the past, uh, you know, you'd probably be looking at growth of $15 million a year, you know, $17 million a year. So, yeah, somewhere in that ballpark, Um you know, somewhere between seven or 15 and 25 a year is probably what you're looking at. And after one year, you're going to know what it'll be. <laughs> you got a nice little Nelly the Bunny from Brian here. Um, 
Connor, uh, what do you expect with Trey Lance this season? Just finishes out his rookie contract trade or something else. I think just finishes out the rookie contract. Um, I think the only possibility would be if Dallas really saw something in Trey Lance. I don't believe they do, but if they did, um, I would see them maybe trying to do a very low-grade contract extension just so he was under contract in 2025, because I, I think this is the last year of his deal, right? Um, just so he was under contract in 2025 in the event that for some reason Prescott is gone. Um, but you would have to see something in him to do that, and I don't think they do. Kyle, do you anticipate the salary cap to realize more 10% year-over-year growth for the next couple of seasons? Oh, no, absolutely not. I'd be stunned. Jake, doing a master's project with five others related to NFL roster construction and visualization. Details need to be ironed out. Any suggestions? Um, in terms of what you're going to be looking at, I mean, it, I I would be looking at things like, um, you know, stuff that deals with years in the league or, you know, rookie years. We'll call that four years. Um you know, or, um, you know, veterans, homegrowns versus uh, outside signings. Um, you could look at money invested in free agency versus money invested via draft versus money invested, um, you know, on your your uh, extensions, um, players. Um, you know, you can do salaries by position if you want to. You know, there's there's lots of different ways that um, that you can look at it. You know, I, I would just there's so many different ways to do it. You know, I I would just look over all the different aspects that you think are important. Um, you know, related to roster construction and the different ways that um, you know you you can look to utilize that. You know, whether you want to look at salaries and grades from pro football focus for example um you know that there's different ways that um you can do stuff uh as for you know visualizations on it, it, it again it depends on what what kind of stuff you're looking at yeah you can do some cool stuff with little you know bubble charts to give you three-dimensional kind of looks at things um you know, where you can take in, you know, three factors into something. You know, there's all different kind of ways to do these things. Um, so, you know, I, I would just, I'd aim as to, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think what your goal is with the, the roster construction um, project that you're working on. And, you know, just kind of work from there. But there's, you know, just so many different ways to, to look at rosters in the NFL. Um you know, and and how you how you want to break those things down, whether it's um, financial performance, um, how a roster was built. Yeah, you know, there's just tons of different ways to do it. Gary, on a scale of uh, one to cap one up so much in one season, the Warriors added Durant. How extreme is this increase? I don't think it's crazy extreme, um, and I and I don't think it's really going to change much overall. Um, even though some may say that it will. Uh, Greg, no, it's very marginal and the tag is likely either way, but this cap spike make it more or less likely the Dolphins tag Wilkins. I don't think it makes much of a difference. Um, I I would put those odds of a tag at like 75%. I, I'd be pretty surprised, I think, if they didn't tag him. 
Um, but you never know. Uh, speaking of the tag, you know, and I don't know if I have any questions on this here. I, pro I probably don't. But um, I know I had some people ask about a, a tweet that I made about T. Higgins. You know, uh, I think it was Eric Eager mentioned that, uh, like, it was a pretty quick tag. And, you know, my opinion is when you tag a player that quick, it means you've got no real intention of signing him for the long term. It's either keeping him short term or you're tagging to trade him. The reason that I, I mentioned that is because usually the, the process that we you see that happens with the franchise tag stuff is franchise tag window is like a two-week period, basically. So usually you trade some proposals, um, you know, you discuss possible outcomes, um, you know, with the agent, with the player, you do this at the combine, you do it before the combine, you might do it a little after the combine. And then the last thing that happens is when you don't come to the agreement, then you go and you franchise tag the player. You know, because you, you want to protect your exclusive negotiating rights with the player. To do something the day that those numbers are set, um, in my mind, is the situation where you're not having those discussions. You see no need to having those discussions. Because the minute you put a tag on a guy, that usually makes any negotiations kind of go off the rails. Um so it means you're really not negotiating in good faith if you're just throwing it on them um, right away. And, you know, you're, you're just protecting at that point. This is, look, we're going to tag you. We're telling you right now, go to the combine, see who wants to sign you and what they'll give us for you. You know, we're, we'll give you permission to do that. Um, I mean, they don't really have to give you permission for it. You're a free agent. Or they're just saying, look, you know, we're, we're happy to have you here, but we're, we're not we're not doing a deal for twenty four million dollars a year, um, you know. And, th and this is one of those things where uh, people do get thrown off with this stuff, where you're going to look at this and you're going to see T Higgins at twenty one point eight million and say, okay, <coughs> well that's pretty fair, you know. He would be the tenth uh, highest paid receiver, um, you know. That's that's not that far off the value of these players at 23.8 and 24 and 22. Like, that's not that bad. But this is where you get into these things. So he's going to earn $21.8 million. What, how much would he earn if he was on a, a new contract? And so this is your first year cash numbers that would be earned by a player on an extension. 32.3, 43.3, 40.3, 32.3. Forty, 32.1, 31.7. So he's losing out on probably anywhere from 10 to $15 million by playing on the tag this year. All right. Um, you know, now he makes some of that up maybe the next year, but you know, that it takes time. You know, if you were at 21.8, you know, your, your numbers at that point would be... You know, you'd get 26.2. So, you know, you'd be at, um, you know, at 47.96 over two years. Um, you know, you have guys making $40 million in the first year of an extension. So, you know, first new year of an extension. So, you know, it, it's a lot of money that he's giving up by being on the franchise tag. So it's not as simple as saying, well, his annual value is close to it. No, it's not even remotely close. 
from the Bengals' perspective, this is if we extend them, we're going to have to find a way to pay him close to $40 million this year, or we can just pay him twenty-two. We run, we run it this year, and then we'll deal with it again next year. You know that that's that's the way that um, you know those things work. So that that's why I had mentioned it that way. Uh, Dave, what would you predict a Landon Dickerson extension to look like? How do you feel about paying for a guard? Um, I I don't know if Reddick's going to get much of an extension. I'm not really sure uh, what that'll be. I really look Dickerson. Um, so I'm not really sure on that. I, I'd have to I'd have to do more of a I'd have to do more of a look at that. That's um I mean I guess throw a quick look in there, but Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I'd, I'd have to look a lot closer, um, you know, to, to see where, you know, where he would end up in this group of players. Um, I'm not a big believer in paying up on a guard position. Um, I think there's too many guys who are functional players that are in a much lower salary range. Um, but I'd have, to, I, I'd have to really look at that to see. Uh, what are the Eagles' options with Slay and Bradbury? Um not good um <laughs> you know uh bradbury probably could be a june one maybe whoops i feel like slay off the top of my head they're a little more locked into um he has his base guaranteed I have to look to see what his option structure is here. I, I have to, I got to look a little closer at Bradbury. Um, this might be a June 1 kind of thing. Um, they, they might be able to June 1 him. I, I, I'd have to look a little closer at that. Uh, they might be able to do something there. But, they, you know, they, that was... That was a panic. One of those, uh, basically, they never should have brought back both guys. Uh, they wanted, I, I believe at least, they wanted to bring back Slay. That became a problem, so they, they reversed course on Bradbury, and then it was like, well, we, Slay's ready to stay, too. So they kept both guys, and I think that was a mistake. Uh, in your opinion, when NFL teams are set up the best for sustained success, when looking at their cap structure for years in the future. Um, so... I'm asking mostly about teams that are already paying quarterbacks. So, I mean, um, I think the Chiefs, obviously, um, are pretty well set up, um, you know, because their their quarterback is so good, um, you know, and they, they have a lot of flexibility um, with what they have there. Um, the Rams are probably in pretty good shape right now. Yeah, they, they've got a nice young core that they're not going to have to pay. They have a quarterback under contract that's not crazy expensive. Um, you know, I think they're probably in a good position. The Bengals are probably in an okay position. I have to look a little closer at them. The Lions at the moment are probably in a pretty decent position. 
you know, the, the other teams that you look at, you know, it's harder to say. You know, the, the Bears, I can't say they're good right now. And who knows what they're going to be doing. And they may have a rookie quarterback. Um, you know, but I, I think those are the teams that I look at. And, you know, on, on the teams that are in rough shape right now with the cap, um, you know, I mean, the Bills have an advantage only because he's under contract for so long at a reasonable number. Um, you know, I think you can look at a team like the Ravens and just say they're smart. So, you know, they'll be able to do some stuff, but they, you know, they're, they're not in a great spot at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's those, those couple of teams that I, I think are pretty well, um, set up. Uh, Jake, is this an accurate read of how the CBA would handle arbitration and double tag? Let's see. Um, I mean, probably, um, you know, that, that's how it would, uh, it would work out. Um, you know, that, 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 cause it would go through that process. I, I believe, um, that's what it would do. Um, But, I mean, Burns, I'm not sure about the prior year salary jumping in there. I, I'd have to look a little bit more at that. Um, let me see here. One aspect. Okay, there we go. Um... Second tag, how a delayed and retroactive reward would affect his second franchise tender. Okay, so yeah, so going into it, it would likely, you know, those things can drag on. So I'll give you an example here. And so you're probably right in terms of how much this can drag on um, and impact. So, for example, um, I think it was Sheldon Richardson with the Jets. Definitely Leonard Williams with the Jets. Um, Richardson ended up, I believe, on the Seahawks. I think that's the that's the one. Both of those players filed grievances over um, what their option figures were, and uh, you know the the um, salary that was supposed to be paid for them on that fifth year option. Those grievances were not settled until I'm going to say like a year and a half after they were filed. Like, I, I feel like those numbers came in, um, as charges, like a long time later. Um, let me see if I have any record of that. Let me look up Leonard Williams. So Leonard Williams was traded in 2020? Nope. 2019 he was traded. So to give you an idea, the Jets took a cap charge for him in 2023 uh, that basically was associated with 
his salary that they, um, you know, that, that he felt he was owed by being designated at the um, wrong position. So, you know, you, you are talking about years before that thing was finalized. Um, let me see if that pops up. No, my computer has decided to freeze up. So that one's not going to work there. I was going to look up Sheldon Richardson and see if I had any record of that. But um, but it was a similar situation to where it was like a long time after the fact that, um, you know, that that, uh, that that occurred. Let's see. Let's see if I, I give one more shot. Sheldon Richardson. So Richardson, there was a charge in 2019 in Seattle. He last played with Seattle in 2017. So he was designated as a interior defensive lineman, I believe is what he got the option year value at. And I think he was looking to move to the defensive end one, probably what that was. So anyway, it was in uh, 2019 that that award was accounted for on the salary cap. So it's a, it, that, that can be a pretty long process um, as to how that goes. Uh, let's see. With the increase in cap, does it make sense for Kansas City to be more aggressive with Mahomes' cap number this year? Should they still balance current versus future? Seems like a bigger cap number should leave room to push now uh, without too much risk. Um, no, I, I, I just stay the course with what, I, what I'm doing. I'm not, I'm not letting this kind of increase really change um, what I'm working on. George, question on the PPE. According to OTC, Amon Ross, St. Brown are in level two, while McNeil and Barnes are in uh, level ones. Um, so the base salaries on those players, I'm just going to go off the top of my head here. Um, the way that it works is the level one, I believe, is the um, right of first refusal at the original draft round tender, which I think is $3.116 million. Um, so basically that becomes your new salary. So if uh, your salary is one oh five five, it should now be $3.116. Um, the level two, I think, is the that tender plus another 250000 And then the level three is the second round tender, I think. Um, so that's how those numbers change is it's basically it replaces your paragraph five uh, less any workout bonuses and stuff that's in that contract, which are there's usually not too many of those um, in the rookie deals, but there's a couple, um, you know, and that it brings it to the um, that PPE level, uh, whatever it is. But they're all based on the restricted free agent tenders. Um, but off the top of my head, I believe that's what those tenders are. I think it's three one one six. Um is the right of first refusal with the draft. And if I'm wrong on that one, then my numbers are wrong for everybody, but I'm sure they're not off by too, too much. Um, then we'll fix them afterwards. Um, that should be it. I think these are all just generic questions. So I think that is it. Um, oh, Deshaun Watson's in the, did Deshaun Watson redo his deal or something? That I didn't see. No. No. 
Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, so I think that does it for me. Um, so hopefully I'll get this up uh, tomorrow, and hopefully I'll be able to do a podcast again next week as well. Um, so everybody have a great week, and, you know, as these uh, restructures and everything come in, you know, we'll keep updating cap numbers. And just, you know, one last thing. Remember, this is a really fluid time of the year, so cap numbers change sometimes daily. Um you know, with stuff that comes in. So, um, you know, just know that when you post the numbers, there's reasons why they change uh, pretty often. So uh, just bear with us, you know, during the next month or so. So uh, everybody have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.